Welcome, welcome to Soul Talk, the place where we talk about the things that make us most us. And one of the things that makes us most us is something many of us can't bring ourselves to talk about for a whole host of reasons. But much of our culture and world is in many ways centered upon and has embedded within this very thing. Pretty much obsessed with it, actually. Have you guessed it? Sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And my guest today has become an, I don't know, accidentally on purpose expert in the field, really. But before he had his doctorate in counselor education and supervision, before he was a specialist in the field of sexual addiction, a well-versed teacher on biblical and counseling topics, and now, recently, a professor with Liberty University, before all of that, he was my good friend. We have been colleagues for years and have enjoyed many, many memories together. He has startled me more than once in the hallways of our counseling practice. We have watched each other's families grow and change as we have watched each other's counseling practices grow and change. I love his wife, LaRonda, and his three kids are wonderful. Dr. Tim Stoffer has been a colleague and friend for well over a decade. And I am thrilled we somehow carved out these minutes after quite a fight to do so, really, because every moment I get to spend with him is a good one. So, Tim, welcome to Soul Talk. Hey, Tammy. Thank you. It's, um, uh, it is a privilege to be here. And, and like you said, we have, you've been emailing me and texting me for so long. <laughs> hey, when are we going to be able to make this happen? And so I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that it's working and. It certainly is a privilege to be here with you and and um, and look forward to this conversation. And yet at the same time, as we'll get into it more, um, right. this topic always has an element of trepidation and um, and we'll talk um, we'll talk more about that as well as we as we get into our conversation. But a real honor and privilege to be here and yeah. such an important and vital topic in, yeah. Yeah, in and the so, church and yep. in our personal lives, in our in our society and so um, thanks for, thanks for having me. Well, you know, you've just teed it up. I'm, I'm kind of like, well, just, okay, we'll keep going if you want. I mean, we could, we could go right there and talk about even what you and I know to be, you know, some ambivalence on your part, even about like, uh, diving into the topic. Um, or we could talk a little bit about, tell us about this, you know, sort of recent, um, new job opportunity and new professorship with Liberty University. You want to tell us about that for a minute? Well, sure. I, um, while well, I started my PhD, um, studies, oh, it's six years ago now, I suppose, since I started. <laughs> um, and so, so there's a sense in which taking a professorship is the natural progression of the purpose of that, of that course of study. Um, uh, and so, um, so about a year ago, um, Liberty was hiring in their online counseling program. Mm. And so it was a, it was a good fit for me. And, and I was looking forward to diversifying a bit and moving mm -hmm. from full-time clinical practice to um, part-time clinical practice and, and um, do some teaching on the side. So, and so was some of your, you know, graduate work, you know, sort of the bigger projects you have to do for those, you know, dissertation and whatnot, uh, were those in the area of sexual addiction? Um, yes, my dissertation um, was around issues of sexual addiction. I also did a significant amount of research around um, issues related to sexual identity. Mm -hmm. And so I was working with um, Dr. Yarhouse and the Institute for the Study of Sexual Identity. And so I was, um, so I did a good bit of research um, with that research team. And then in my dissertation, I looked at sexual addiction, attachment theory, um, and the importance of religion and spirituality in a person's life and how those three things interact mm. with one another. <laughs> Very interesting. And so, you know, I say with a wry little smile on my face because I know your background and I know from whence you've come. So how did your path get you here? Uh, <laughs> that is a, you know, I, I just I grew up all my life and I just thought I really someday... <laughs> I really want people to introduce me as this. Here's an expert on sex and sexuality. Like that was like, I, I just remember at 12 thinking that would be the ideal. 
Because every boy who's that's, reared in a Mennonite background, that is what they tout as this is the this is the, this career, is the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle. It's the career path you ought to choose. <laughs> it's like work hard to get there. And so I really applied myself to just. Um, and so congratulations <laughs> for being you. at the pinnacle. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, you know, when I was in grad school um, in around tw- 2008, 2010, somewhere in that area, um, I didn't even really know that sexual addiction was a thing. Hmm. Like, like I certainly knew that people grapple with issues of sexuality. It's like, and I, I knew that, um, that sex causes can cause people lots of problems, but I didn't, I didn't come out of grad school with my counseling license thinking I'm going to, I think I'm going to specialize in treating sexual addictions. In fact, that wasn't even, I don't think that ever crossed my mind as a possible area of specialization Mm -hmm. and treatment. Uh, and so after graduation and I got my counseling license and I opened my practice, I remember standing in my office and um, praying this prayer of really probably of desperation. Um, God, I did everything that I know to do to follow your call in my life. Mm-hmm. And here I am. I have a furnished office. I took the risk and signed a lease and I don't have any clients yet. Um, and... I remember praying, saying, God, my calendar is empty, and so it's up to you. You bring bring the people that you would like me to see. Um, and from there, my practice began to build. And it wasn't long until I had a there this constant, um, I would say, stream of people coming to see me where I'm like, I don't know how to help you with that. They didn't teach us that in grad school. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, mm. I don't know how to, um, I don't know what to say. Um, I have my good counseling skills. I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can attend to your needs mm. emotionally and I can talk through what you're thinking and feeling. I can, I can help you, but I really don't know a whole lot about sexual addiction treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I don't know anything. And so, Beings that I was brand new in practice and didn't have that many clients, I um, applied and started um, a certification program um, with the American Association for Sex Addiction Therapy. So I got this big, long stack of DVDs to watch. (laughs) So between the clients that I did have, I started the process of educating myself um, around issues of sexual addiction and um, began to market that. Um, that specialty. And I didn't realize um, that the, the, the desperate need mm-hmm. and the, the volume of mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. Um, and for quite some time, I was one of probably only two or three people in the Columbus area mm. that had a certification of any kind in mm-hmm. sexual addiction treatment. So my practice grew steadily over the years. And, and so that was a significant I do a lot more than just sexual addiction and treatment, but that certainly is probably the lion's share of mm-hmm. the work I do along with marital work that often accompanies right. um, the crises that people often have related to mm-hmm. sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, would you be willing to talk about how that relates to your faith development or your the interaction of you know, the faith traditions in which you were reared and the messages coming out of there and goodness, the metamorphoses that you've had to go through to be able to even have paradigms for these kinds of things. Sure. Well, like, like many people, I found this to be true is the message that's often communicated is, is sex is dirty, save it for someone you love. And, and so many people have grown up with this, like, dualistic um, mm-hmm. way of thinking about sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun. It's alluring. It's passionate. It's intense. It's desirable. I, I feel the drive. I have the needs. I um, there's something really powerful and really good. And I intuitively know it to be good because I feel so drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, it's, it don't, like, don't like, mm-hmm. like, just don't mm-hmm. like no, no real, no real training. I think one of the, 
one of the things that's sad to me is how little many, many people are ever talked to about the issues of sexuality as oh my goodness, children yes. or adolescents. Oh my like, goodness, yes. Like over yes, and yes, over again. Yes, yes, I have heard the story after story of, yeah, nothing. Right. Not Like not, not nothing at all. Like to this day. Yes, like no this one This is has, not just 30 and 40 years ago. Yeah, this is to this day. To this day. And, yes. and the number of people that have just said, I have, I have, no one has ever talked to me about issues of sex. Mm-hmm. I, the number of times I've heard people say, and I suspect you've heard this as many of us counselors hear this often, you're the first person I'm telling this to. Exactly. Like, like, and that happens across other issues as well in life that, that we're often, we're often told, implicitly we're told, don't talk about that, which hurts you. Um, mm-hmm. Don't like pain. Pain is something to be avoided mm-hmm. and talking about it will make it worse. Mm-hmm. And we know that not to be true, mm-hmm. um, but it it feels right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like there's something about that's compelling. It's mm-hmm. like I don't like talking about what hurts me. Mm-hmm. Um, I might cry, and that wouldn't be good. Um, <laughs> and so I don't I don't want to talk about what hurts me. Mm-hmm. And so if there is a place in which people have been hurt in life, the area of sexuality um, and sex is a place of a lot of pain. And, and a certainly lot of, a lot of shame. And a lot of shame. And so, you know, one of the adages that I see a lot and talk about a lot is what's in the dark grows, mm-hmm. what's in the light shrinks. And so the more we don't talk about it, the more shame grows, the more the shame around it grows. Absolutely. And so then that becomes the hotbed for, of mm-hmm. course, addictive processes, because mm-hmm. how do you deal with shame? How do you keep shame quiet? Mm-hmm. How do you keep that aloneness that comes with mm-hmm. the pain of shame? Mm-hmm. Quiet, right. right? Right. I remember a poignant picture of a person weeping in my office mm. um, saying, if if my parents knew mm-hmm. that that sex was such an important and vital part of life, why weren't they willing to talk to me about it? Mm. And, right. and it was a, um, it was a significant, moment for me because it's like it it's like one of those flashbulb moments for me it's like that's a that's a big deal like like this ought to be something that gets talked about mm-hmm. like like i remember as a as a high school boy going into the library at my high school my mennonite high school and it was on the bottom shelf or second the bottom shelf about mm. the third row over mm-hmm. that's where i found the s encyclopedia mm. and it's like that that is a common experience for people mm-hmm. um is i have to go figure this out on my own right that often sadly happens through exposure to porn right um or other um forms of sexual behavior whether it's curiosity with neighbors whether it's whether it's sexual um encounters it's like people begin to, they know something mm-hmm. and they feel something and it gotta be there. It's, it has to be developed. Mm-hmm. And so we will sexually develop. Mm-hmm. The question becomes how, mm-hmm. like in what way? Mm-hmm. And so much so we can talk about it in spiritual formation as well. It's like everybody is spiritually formed. Mm-hmm. The Come question on. becomes, how are we mm-hmm. spiritually formed? And so, we are sexually formed. We sexually develop. The question becomes how. Right. Right. And so I think, uh, you know, the train is out of the station here. I've, I'm having a thousand thoughts all at once. So I'm thinking about, uh, I was in session with um, a husband and wife. And, you know, he had, uh, you know, they're in ministry. And he had had a, you know, a porn issue for a number of years. Not a significant one, thankfully, not, you know, super wrapped up in it, not a ton of money, but just unable to fully break, break free from it. And so there was sort of a turning point where she, instead of just seeing it as his problem, realized it's a we problem. I'm going to enter into this to a degree rather than like how you doing with your problem over there. I'm going to choose to see it as a we problem. And this was after, you know, 20 years. And there was something about that we problem thing that just turned it for them. 
Hmm. And after 20 plus years of, you know, maybe going weeks and months even without any engagement, there would be a small engagement, but never a total disengagement with it. Uh, seeing it as a we problem just changed it. Anyhow, somehow it happened where I, I don't know, they asked me a question about something and I said, I'm speaking to some pastor's wives and her face lit up and she goes, will you do me a favor? She got super intense. Will you do me a favor? I said, what? (laughs) And she said, will you please, you have, you have a room of pastor's wives. She said, I am one of them. Will you promise me that you will talk to them about sex? That you will talk to them about the power of their sexual relationships? And I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so true to my word, one of the things that I did that weekend with those pastor's wives Mm -hmm. was I just in, in, in that, I, I just mentioned offhandedly about, hey, one of the things critical to your lives. Don't forget your sexual beings. In addition to being social beings and intellectual beings and spiritual beings and physical beings and emotional beings and all those things that we're talking about in terms of developing yourself emotionally and making sure that you're, you know, attending to your emotional health and making sure that you're attending to your physical health. And of course, you're an intellectual person. So you're hopefully stimulating yourself intellectually and relationally. We're certainly taking care of ourselves relationally, right? Are you at all thinking about your sexual person? Mm-hmm. You have your own sexual identity. Your, your sexual relationship isn't just his issue. It's not just all about him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was as though there was no air in the room. There might not have been. <laughs> <laughs> it was as though time stood still. There was no movement, nothing, because everyone was wrapped with attention or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, and I think that's that's the reality. That's what you're saying, to your point. Are we actually, do we believe God made our sexual mm-hmm. uh, identities, our sexuality? Mm-hmm. Are we paying any attention to developing our sexuality intentionally and seeing it as something that God made and embracing it as such? And like, okay, I'm paying attention to my physical development. I'm paying attention to my emotional development, we hope, as counselors. I'm paying attention to my spiritual development, for sure. I, I'm, you know, We're calling each other to our quiet times. We're calling each other to prayer. And to know what it is to even do higher level develop, uh, spiritual de- developmental things like fasting and whatnot. Are we even thinking about what it means to develop our own sexuality like as a wonderful, holy pursuit? What? Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 um, I suspect there are people listening now that would say, uh, that's a, that doesn't fit within the rubric of how to understand life. Like that's not a, it's not a common, um, I would say that you may have heard it said you're a musician. You may have heard it says like, why does the devil get all the good music? <laughs> like, I can, like, can you believe like, this? I have never heard that. <laughs> you have never heard that? Oh man! Like, I suppose that's the growing up Mennonite. Really, um, that may be another expression. Just, uh, You've never heard I've that. I've never heard that. And wait, wait! It's calling to my now. Okay, this is my bad memory is going to fail me. Uh, oh shoot! What's the what's the joke about premarital sex? I don't joke about those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's about playing saxophone before you're married. It leads to dancing. I don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to edit out that joke or something, I probably. Said, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that. Okay, go ahead. I don't know that reference at all. Um, and so, like, when I think about, um, I've, I've often heard said, not maybe not often, but that devil gets the good music. In many regards, I think sex and sexuality and and conversations about it it's like it, it doesn't fit within the sacred space hmm. it it only is within the secular space and so and so to think about sexual development not from a faith perspective or a spiritual growth perspective it would mean i'm just going to learn how to have the most physically satisfying sexual experience um and and what that does is it it leads to making sex consumeristic. Yes. Which is which is precisely the point of porn. It's precisely um, right. what occurs is that is that we begin 
um, often in development as adolescents, we begin to find out that sex can solve some problems. Hmm. And so, so I can, if I engage sexually, if I, if I engage the sexual processes, I feel better. Um, it can reduce anxiety. It can help a person sleep. It can. And so it's like, it has all the qualities of, of what a substance does. One, because there is a brain chemistry Mm -hmm. component that's, that's vital, um, part of the process. Um, but there's, but there's also more than just the physical component. There's also the relational ones of, I can, I can feel loved. And so the fantasy world can begin to fill in the gaps that the physical experience can't, Hmm. can't uh, produce on its own. So, so we can engage our bodies sexually, but we can also engage our minds in fantasy. And so couple those two things together. I can actually meet um, in some perverse way, almost every need that God can meet. And so, so it's like, I have heard people, um, over and over again, talk about their sexual addiction and godlike language. Wow! Things like yeah, keep teasing that out. This is things good. like um, one of one of the exercises that I often give a client to do is to write what's called a thank you letter to their addiction, which which many people don't Whoa. don't like very much right. because it's it's so and it's anathema. Right. But it, what it does is I, what I ask people to do is is like all behavior is purposeful, right? And so what's what's the benefit you're deriving? Right. And can you begin to think about it in terms of a positive statement of this is what I need and what I would like. And I'm grateful. It's like, I get it that you're going to have to write the goodbye letter. And ultimately it's not something to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. However, there are very, very legitimate needs that you're working to meet around which having them met successfully is a place for gratitude. And and so there are very legitimate needs that get met through sexual encounters or through pornography use that are vital. And so the kinds of things that I would might hear something along the lines of, you know what, um, let's just use pornography as one example. Um, the porn star, in essence, will tell me that I'm desired, mm-hmm. that I'm lovable. She will never reject me. Right. She will never say no. She will never put demands on my life. She will never need me to be emotionally present for her. Mm-hmm. She will, she will, uh, she will, she will in essence say, um, I will give you whatever you would like. Mm-hmm. Um, which in many regards, um, many of the needs that are promised to be met are very legitimate needs. Mm-hmm. I need affirmation. I need to be I, told I'm lovable. I need to feel safe. I need to feel affirmed for my uniqueness. I need to have my needs met. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and all of those things are validated right. through the use of porn. Mm-hmm. They're validated in other forms of acting out, whether it's seeing prostitutes, um, whether mm-hmm. it's, whether whatever the form of acting out sexually is accomplishing a very similar thing to pornography. And that's why pornography is often like the, what I would say is the, that's the most common. The gateway drug. Yeah. Or it's the most, <laughs> it's almost like it's, it's, it's part of most stories. It's oh, not, yes. it's not correct. Right. It's not always part of a story. There, there are people who porn just doesn't capture their, but the, it's and, a high percentage, but, but most, high percentage, yeah. most people, um, that are grappling with sexual addiction issues, porn is, um, porn is, porn is a big deal. Um, the reality is, is porn's a bigger deal than just with sexual addiction because about 6% of the population, um, is estimated to have a sexual addiction. Studies around pornography use are about 50% or more of people use porn pretty regularly. Um, including Christians, pastors, um, across kind of across the demographic, the use of porn is super high, but not all of those are sex addicts. Like not right. everybody is addicted um, in, in what I would call clinical language. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's used as a way of meeting um, some really, really core needs mm-hmm. um, that a person has. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's super traumatic. It's like for spouses um, mm-hmm. like that, we, the we component that you were talking about just a bit ago, 
It's like there's an element where in healthy sexual development within marriage or within relationship, having conversation and taking that we approach of we need to we need to develop sexually together uh, within marriage or within this committed space of relationship um, is the most healthy place for our sexuality to develop and grow and mature. Um, for many people, pornography and or other sexual acting out happens outside the awareness of the one spouse, right? which makes it profoundly traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes it really hard to think in terms of we, right. Until there's a great deal of work done, um, by the, what I would call the perpetrator or the person who's mm-hmm. causing the injury through their addictive behaviors that the, we has to be postponed Yes. until, until there's a great deal of, um, humility like um, like it's very common like porn use and sexual addiction is very narcissistic in its essence it's like it's a self-absorbed self-focused kind of process is about i'm gonna get what i want what i want when i need it it's about me um patrick carnes who's sometimes considered the father of the Mm -hmm. sexual addiction fields said like the one of the core thinkings of a sex addict is that sex is my greatest need um, and I can't trust anybody else. I'll have to get it myself. There you go. Yeah. And it's like that becomes the narcissistic kind of process that it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get mm-hmm. what I want. Now, what's hard is that for many people, they just feel shamed about their need where the need itself isn't narcissistic. It's just developmentally important and it's human mm-hmm. and it's necessary. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm going about getting it in the wrong Mm-hmm. in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so for the listener who's interested in that, Patrick Carnes is C-A-R-N-E-S, not a K. Uh, and so one of the things that we're you know teasing out and hopefully able to inspire others to think about differently even today is that your sexuality and your sexual development is a gift of God. It's a part of you created by God for you to consider before him and with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he made that part of you. So for your paradigm to be Ugh, gross, yucky, shame, dirty, bad, me having these desires, shut them down, shut them off. That is not, that is not uh, his plan for your sexuality and your sexual development. Because it, it goes sideways then when you're constantly trying to push it down. And so that's why, you know, as Tim is talking, it, it goes towards all these other directions that lead towards addiction and porn really is such an easy pathway that direction. So, you know, Tim, it's funny, we got right into it as we started talking about when you and I are talking about this prior to, you know, the actual recording of the podcast, it's fascinating that you personally have your own present ambivalence about even engaging the topic. You want to talk about that a little bit? Want to just take a pause button and talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Why am I ambivalent about talking about this? Um, When I was uh, 19, I volunteered as a chaplain's assistant in a state penitentiary prison ministry in Alabama. And so I moved, I moved to Alabama um, to work, um, to work in the prison. And at that point in time, there um, there was a ministry in the area, um, and the pa- this pastor of the local church had an affair with the secretary, and um, and I remember uh, thinking at that point in time, I could do that, like I can wrap my head around Hmm. doing Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not that big of a leap Mm -hmm. to say, yeah, I could, I could take, I could walk down that path. And, and that inspired a prayer for me in that moment in time. When I, I remember very vividly praying this prayer, I said, God, um, take me the long way, um, so that I will have, um, the character to sustain your call in my life. Mm. Um, because I don't want to go down that mm. path, but I know I could. Mm-hmm. And I know I have 
the I know I know me well enough to know that that could that could take me that that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm ambivalent about this topic because of some current events. I think right. the stories right. of Ravi Zacharias uh, rattled my back teeth. Mm. Like, um, and that list is incredibly long. It's like yes. there is a um, there is like this avalanche of of Christian leaders who are respected and articulate and um, beloved, beloved, and who were predatory and and um abusive um those stories exist in my my own tradition and my mennonite background um and i've just some stories that i'm just learning about recently um as i'm engaging some research questions and research in in, in this area around sexuality and leadership and 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 so it's just um I think it's just like it's one of those topics that that feels like there's so many skeletons in closets mm-hmm. and you just wonder which is the next door that's going to open and the next um skeleton's going to fall mm-hmm. out. Um and and so so I think that's that's part of that's part of my ambivalence. Um I think I found it in uh, at times like I found it in almost like personally embarrassing to um, to tell people that, yeah, I'm a specialist in working in an area of sexual addiction. Hmm. I was just like, I don't like to acknowledge. I don't like to, <laughs> I don't like to say that. Mm-hmm. I, it's like, um, I think it's like we were joking at the beginning about <laughs> like that. It's like, it's like to the contrary, I really don't like, I don't, I don't like to be thought of as, oh, we're having issues with, somebody's having issues with sexuality. Yeah. Hey, why don't you call Tim? Yeah. Like, like that's not, mm-hmm. um, it's like, I find it, I just find this conflict because it's like, I feel I'm honored to help people yes, and I, I want to be able to help people at the same time. I being known as, as an expert in that area isn't on, wasn't on my list of things to do. Right. Um, and I think like there are other parts of ambivalence is like, we live in a culture right now that, that a traditional sex ethic or a Christian sex ethic isn't right. particularly welcomed. Right. Yeah. In the mainstream vocabulary, right at these moments in culture right now. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that I picked up as we have been talking about it outside of these particular moments as well, is that you have a, you have the, the same sense of grief. Like I'm tired of grieving it. I keep running into so much grief. Mm-hmm. The brokenness is everywhere. And is it more evident than anywhere than in the areas of sex and sexuality and just so much brokenness? You know, and that's our, that is our plight as we walk about this planet, right? It's, our brokenness is everywhere. And I, you know, I think that one of the things that you articulate well, me not so well, so I might butcher it here, but is the idea of our culture tries to sell us that like, no, sex is where you can have it all. It is the pinnacle. Like sex mm-hmm. is it. Like mm-hmm. that's where you can escape, you know. It is the it is the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And the pursuit is still leaves you wanting and mm-hmm. still leaves you broken. Mm-hmm. You you still at the end of the day mm, doesn't quite do it even the most amazing pleasure-filled experiences. Mm-hmm. There's still brokenness there. And there's so much brokenness there in the pursuit of that. Mm-hmm. The abusive scenarios, the self-gratifying. Yeah. And it's just um, it's just so counter to when we do develop our sexuality with a view to God, what's your idea? And what's mm-hmm. your picture? And how can I develop this in this way under your, you know, under your goodness of it? Oh, that's mm-hmm. a different picture. Right. Right. It's a different picture. I think what's, it's always confusing for people. And I suspect your listeners will feel this as I say it is that the message is often just get it right now. Like just do it perfectly. Like, like what's, what is the way to develop sexually? That's, 
like the trajectory is like don't have sex outside it like the sex ethic is is so mm. it's so well defined that um it leaves people questioning like what would it look like to move in the trajectory of bringing my sexuality in alignment with God's purpose and design mm-hmm. like like what does what's it, the formula or what's it mean in the meantime like until I get there mm. um and I think like in many regards I think um it's like black and white thinking or mm-hmm. this all or nothing thinking right. it's like I'm either I either got it right or I don't right and and the reality is is that most times um well, we don't mm-hmm. and and I think like and this may this will be helpful for us to think in terms that that sexuality and the process of how we deal with our sexuality isn't just what we do with our genitals. Mm-hmm, right. It's like that. And, and so many people hear the term sex and they think about the right. sex act or, right. or some sort of sexual, um, physical sex, um, biological sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's like our sexuality is so much right. more than that. And, and maybe that's part of my ambivalence as well is like, I think I'm still f- figuring that out. Like, like, I don't think I fully understand. Well, I know I don't fully understand the, the, the expansive nature of what it means for us to be sexual beings. Well, I think there's a place too. there's a reality to language fails here in the same way that language fails in the spiritual realm. Absolutely. Sorry to interject, but right. That's part of the struggle. I think it, it is. It's, it's part of the struggle. And I think like, we don't know that like the only way that which we can be human is through a sexed body. Like, so, so like we have no human experiences around which our sexuality isn't a key player in how we understand what's going on in our present moment in our life. And so, so our sexuality is involved in everything. Mm. It's pervasive across time because we do not enter the world as a, we enter the world as a sexed individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one pastor that I met with for lunch as I was introducing my practice and um, I said, I have a statistic that is, is just really, when it really dawned on me, um, I said, it really rocked my world. And it was this, it said a hundred percent of us are sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And I said, and a hundred percent of us are sexually broken. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I, I said, when I put those two realities mm-hmm. together, I began to see, um, and this would be a space for more work for me. Um, I began to see that um, that sexual development isn't from protecting innocent children that are our kids, and we're going to help them kind of preserve their sexual wholeness from that point forward, but that we start sexually broken. And our role as parents, as, as people who are helping our children develop, it's going to be about them wrestling with the issues of sex and sexuality. Like we, we, we start broken and that, and that's fundamental to Christian theology. Mm. It's like, there's a, there's a deep brokenness Mm -hmm. within our human experience. Um, we, we, we can talk about it as the image of God is marred in our lives and our, on our sexuality, I would make the case, I'm not a theologian, but I would make the case that our sexuality is probably one of the things that is most approximates the image of God in us. It, it, it's the place in which we, um, we engage, it motivates our relational engagement with other people. It, it motiv- it's, um, it's connected to the creative functions. Mm-hmm. It's like where we get to participate in the very creation of another human being through our sexual um, encounters with another person and a new person comes into life. It's like, that's a creative act Mm -hmm. that is profoundly Mm godlike. It's like, it's participating with God in this supernatural spiritual act of another human being coming into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and in many regards, our sexuality um, is broken. It's, it's the, the fall of man is that image is marred in us. And so our sexuality um, is deeply broken as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that when we talk about shame, 
it's like that is that place of shame. Mm. It's that place of something's not right mm -hmm. and it needs to be mended and healed. And, and our task as parents with our children is to, is to shepherd them into restoration, mm -hmm. not protection and protection leads to don't do if I'm going to protect you from putting your hot hand mm. on the hot stove, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to be there to slap your hand, like snap it, man. Mm. You get, you're reaching up to the hot stove. Don't you dare. Like, don't know out. Mm -hmm. Stop. No. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we teach our children not to burn their hand on the stove by, by an essence, shaming them. Yeah. Like by saying, right. Don't you dare. Like that's going to hurt you. And so we'll use, mechanisms behaviorally to convince our children not to touch the hot stove. Um, and they'll get some experiences along the way where um, some will actually touch the hot stove. Some will get close to it and feel the heat and then back away. Um, but by and large, it's slap your hand. Don't touch the hot stove. And so if we take that protection aspect into issues of sexuality, it's going to be, you know what, how about you not, don't do sex until you're married. Well, like, I mean, I'm, I'm literally even thinking about conversations I have with young parents of little ones who are finding their genitals. And it, do they have the reflex of, don't touch that? Don't, yeah. Or is it like, you know, do they engage with like, <laughs> that's normal exploration? feels, you know, that feels funny, doesn't it? You know, are they, are they right. having the reflex of, don't do that? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So keep going to this. Right. Paint this picture for us of shepherding a, a per, a, their young, their child into the picture of restoration. Shepherding them into restoration. Right. And so, so I think that's part of what I'm, I'm, I'm still developing in my thinking. Um, is is one is it's helping validate uh, validate the physiological realities of of the body. Mm -hmm. of being able to talk about body parts with the real names mm -hmm. and not be ashamed, mm -hmm. um, not be ashamed to talk about um, the human body. I think it's, um, it includes, um, it includes not just making like rigid, those rigid rules of, of don't do that without any, explanation or mm -hmm. without any a broader vision without a broader, broader vision, vision. Mm -hmm. um, with this, some sense of, of this is, this is where, this is where it's headed. Mm -hmm. um, and there've been many efforts over the years um, to try to like, to just convince behavioral change. Don't do it. And um, that you will be, that will be better for you. Well, and how many, you know, young couples, newly married couples have you talked to, have I talked to that then they, you know, get married and it's like, okay, now flip the switch. Go ahead. Be crazy. Just enjoy it all. Just do it all. Have a great, like, just go ahead. Just know how now. Go ahead no. and experience the fullness of all of it. Right. <laughs> It's like you're right. trying to tell me that years and years of the neural pathway development of it's dirty, it's bad, it's no, stop, 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 make the train stop mm -hmm. here, the train's moving, stop the train, stop the train. Now all right. of a sudden it's like let the train out of the station and you think your neural pathways are going to be able to just automatically do that. Right. Yeah. Well, like that's a that's a tall ask. Like you're right. We, but But that would require a person to actually deal with their own history. Yes, and their own sexuality and be comfortable right. in the, with their own sexuality. Right, like you. Like so we need to be done now. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is over. <laughs> yes, wouldn't that, that wouldn't that be wouldn't that be good? That that was enough. That was enough. <laughs> that, that was enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Keep going. And, it's good. And so, so it's like part of the part of the systemic and the ongoing. The reason this this struggle continues to exist and that it doesn't just resolve itself with good education or good communication right. is that, is that we have all, we all have a story. Yeah. We are, we all have our own points around which we have shame around mm -hmm. which we have hurt on which we have confusion. We all have, there are all, there are questions I don't know how to answer. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I found 
anyone that does know how to answer mm -hmm. it. And so what if my child asks me a question? What if mm -hmm. like, whoa, 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 and that, that means I, what if they ask me what I've done? Right. What if they, and so, so it's a scary, it's scary place. It's, and mm -hmm. again, it's like that going into the Holy of Holies, it's going into that sacred mm -hmm. space to, to help our children requires us to do our own, yeah. our own work. And and if there's one place around which people don't like to do this kind of work, this would be one of those mm -hmm. one of those topics. And yet it causes so much problem. It's like it's it's like one of the primary issues that brings a couple in for marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. one of the it's one of the areas like especially in the when you get into the addiction world, it 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 torments the soul of a person. Yeah. It's 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 crushing. It it it's like it's like takes a pop can or aluminum can and just crunches the mm. soul. It's like, it, it's like it, it has this, this power, it's menacing. It's, it's scary. It's, it's overwhelming. It's traumatic. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's, how about we just not? Yeah. And, and, and so that's, that's I know, dreadful. I know that that is part of your heart and even part of, you know, our heart for why we even said, let's try to tackle it today. Let's try to tackle it. So Tim, when you think about the kinds of people that God would have listening to this and, um, the kinds of places, you know, people to be in, what, what is your encouragement to them about why, why think about these things? Why press into them? So do you have some how to begin to, you know, uh, move forward in these kinds of pursuits. If you have some how, that'd be great. But even more so, the why. Mm -hmm. Why? What, what's your hope for the ones listening? Well, I, I remain optimistic that that sex and sexuality is a gift from God that is good. Mm -hmm. And it is, like, I think, like, just pick up the book Song of Solomon. Right. <laughs> and just read it. Read it out loud in front of the mirror, like <laughs> that's like, awesome. Like read it, like like um, like, and 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 feel what you feel. Yeah, as you're reading you're it, right? It's good to um to hear what does God have a sex positive message? And that's great. And in many regards, if you hear the term sex positive, you don't typically think of the church. <laughs> you don't typically think of God. That's you don't great. typically think of Jesus. Yeah, that's great. You think of when I think of when I hear the term sex positive, it's going to usually be in terms of encouraging you to indulge whatever sexual impulse you feel mm -hmm. or you desire. Mm -hmm. And well, if you want if you want a quick route to shipwreck, mm. indulge every appetite that you have. Right. Like we know that indulging appetites without um, without restraint is not a good idea. Right. It's not good food wise. Like we don't encourage we don't encourage somebody to we don't encourage somebody with an eating disorder to eat indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. We don't encourage someone um, to starve themselves and stop eating if they're an overeater. Right. Um, if you're an under eater, we don't say, um, like we say, how about you develop a healthy relationship mm -hmm. with food? Yeah. We, we, we don't want you to be at war with your fundamental biological creation. Right. Right. And so in much the same way, many people just try to fight their sexual desire and their sexual reality and sexual needs Simply with some sort of like, I'm, it's like I grit my teeth and I'm going to just every man's battle, every man's battle. It's like, it's this <laughs> intense process of, I'm going to beat this sucker down. Yeah. And I'm even going to get accountability to help me beat this sucker right. down. And when I, when I fail at beating this thing down, I will come to you and I will say, you tell me to not give up and you keep pressing on. And then I will feel better. Because I now at least told somebody that I did the thing I didn't want to do anymore. And then I'll, it's like that becomes, that becomes a little morsel 
of encouragement and nourishment. So now I can hold on fast until I fall again. And that's a, that's a cycle that repeats itself over and over and Mm -hmm. over, um, for many people. And, and so when I think about, um, this issue, we need to move away from the battle and fighting metaphor. Yes. And, um, because if we want to deal, I mean, this is a little bit of a, of a side route, but it'll get us there okay. ni- nicely. Um, I had a friend ask me years ago, they said, um, Tim, you stand at the bottom of the cliff and you sit there and you, or you stand there and you help people, you help clean people up after they fall off the cliff. Mm. And he looked right at me and he said, and Tim, what are you going to do? When are you going to get on the top side of the cliff? Wow. It kind of ticked me off. I was, was going like, to say, that's I felt, a bold friend. I felt, um, uh. I felt this like internal, <laughs> I was like, dang it. I know you're right about something, but I have no idea how yeah. to even consider doing that. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question. How do you, how do you get on the top side yeah. of the cliff? Yeah. Um, but I do, I think I do now. I, I think I at least have some ideas about how we can get on the top side of the cliff and keep from falling off. Um, and it's by doing something that most men just will grit their teeth at and not like at all. And that's, uh, you have to be emotionally vulnerable and you're going to have to deal with your emotional world. Many men try to solve this issue with men's solutions or with masculine solutions. You know what I see? I see like, I see banners or advertisements about a particular book or a particular way to solve this problem and it has like f-16 fighter jets on it (laughs) or it has it has big strapping soldiers and like man we're going into war i mean it's like braveheart it's like gladiator it's like we're gonna man daggone it we're gonna slay this dragon Mm -hmm. and we're gonna Mm -hmm. we are going to we are going to make we're gonna make this better i haven't seen it work right Honestly, it's, it's like, back to the grit your teeth thing, right? Yeah, I'm like I, I respect it to one degree. Sure, I like I understand. It's a good heart and it's good intention. Um, but the challenge is, and you inferred this just a little bit ago. It's like we cannot fight our biology. Like we don't, we don't get to just starve ourselves to healthy body weight. We don't get to not have a healthy relationship with food to. That doesn't work. Doesn't mm-hmm. work on the overeating or the undereating side. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work to just say we're going to battle our way out of sexual issues. Mm-hmm. Rather, um, we need to understand what are what are the legitimate needs that we have. If I'm feeling, if I use pornography when I don't feel affirmed, well, what that means is I need to learn how to emotionally recognize that I'm not affirmed, mm-hmm. and that might mean I have to call a friend and say, yes. I got out of an off out of my uh-huh. office today uh-huh. and I didn't get that contract. Yes. And I feel like a failure today. Yeah. So you, can you please I, remind me uh, of how I'm not a total failure? Exactly. Yep. Tell, tell me because, and, and if it's a person that's helping with if somebody struggling with porn, if you say, I know I've, I've learned enough about myself. I've been emotionally inquisitive and I am curious about myself. And I recognize that when I use porn, this is the time I do it. Like not, right I'm not now. affirmed. I, I I feel like a failure. I feel like I absolutely, and you know what? I know I know my wife's been busy. I know when I go home, like she's gonna have a long day, and she's probably gonna she might snap at me. I might already be kind of angry because I got I got stiffed at work, and so I'm not I'm not feeling particularly mm-hmm. um, engaging at any kind of nice way. So, mm-hmm. but. That's when the that's when the porn star knocks on the door and says, "Hey, you know what? You're okay." Right. And and that's it's like if it's that's not going to war. That's not pick up your sword and go fight. Mm-hmm. That's in essence saying, "I'm going to take off my armor." Yeah. I'm going to get down on my knees. Mm-hmm. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to become emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. to the people. And so I call it being emotionally accountable to our pain. Not, not just accountable to our behavior. Mm-hmm. So most accountability stuff is around behavior. Hey dude, sorry. I did it again, man. I looked long too long. I, 
I went on that website. I, I, up. Mm-hmm. I It's like, and I, I blew it. Hey, hang in there. We all struggle and we battle back. We're going to battle back. But your phrase and is becoming accountable to your pain. To your pain. I'm, man, instead I'm of accountable hurting. to your behavior. It's like I'm hurting. I'm, I'm attentive enough to know today I am hurting. So for me, I think let's operationalize that down to you have to be paying attention to what you're feeling. So if you have gone through an entire day and you don't know one emotion at least that you have had in the day, like you've got to identify at least one emotion you've had during the day. Start right. there. That's, right? a, that's a great starting point. For anyone who has seen me um, clinically, they probably have gotten a feeling wheel from me. Yes, it's great. Of, of you can some, find those online. You can find them online. Just Google them. There's all sorts of different ways where you can find and put vocabulary to what you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually, yeah, it is scary. Like it, it's the... The reality is, is that for many, especially for many of us men, we don't want to talk about feelings mm-hmm. because it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have them. Mm-hmm. Like men, men are emotional beings. They have the full range of emotions just the way women do. Mm-hmm. And they're the same emotions. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. your your sadness is probably a lot like my sadness. It, it's the same. It's the same thing. It, it, and so it's not like our emotions are radically different. Mm-hmm. We have the same ones. Men just have often have a very restrictive expression of it. And it's been trained. It's like we've been taught um, and socialized not to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to. Like, we're wrong. Like, men need to deal with that. If men want to overcome sexual addiction, they have to deal with that. Yep. And so that's just back to our you know earlier point, which is we are also emotional beings in addition to sexual beings, in addition right. to intellectual beings. And so emotional development, like paying attention to your emotional person, just like you work out physically, work out your emotional person. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. So to the, to the title that you suggested for our time, soul crushing sex versus soul satisfying sex, what were you thinking there? And what are your thoughts as to, I don't know, going from one to the other or what makes one versus what makes the other? What's mm-hmm. your, well, the title of your podcast was Soul Talk, and yes. you, and you said, "How can we connect this to the soul?" <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I think the pop can metaphor is like I have seen people crushed. Yeah, I have seen spouses crushed by Absolutely. the sexual acting out of of their partner. I have seen marriages where sexual addiction is not the problem, but sexually it's just not working. Right. It's like there's a crushing. There's a crushing, so prevalent. There's crushing level of pain associated with our sexuality. Yes. People are desperate to to deal with that component of life. People are hungry. It's why it's why sex sells. People want to know. Yes. People want to people want to talk about it. Yes. It's it's like there's a good chance there are people listening right now that have stayed engaged longer than they might in other subject matters yes yes because it's like it touches at a very what i would call primal yes space of our soul it's like it's this is part of our of who we are yeah and and we have to we have to address it and so so if it's not healthy we will feel crushed at the same time um healthy sexuality has vibrant possibility Mm -hmm. it has the ability um, the ability to be known yeah. and to know at such a holistic and deep level um, with one person mm-hmm. across a lifespan yes. is a is a brilliant idea. <laughs> it's a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. God is, is a, uh, sex and marriage is a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's not consumeristic. Yes, sex outside of that committed is kind of relationship is consumeristic. Yes, it's it's about you know it it fundamentally changes it from the get versus give. I right. mean, it starts to move that needle, right? Profoundly so. Yes, exactly. And, and so, so sex by God's design is not consumeristic. It's it's about relational developments. It's about creating an us. It's mm-hmm. that we. It's that it's that we can be in it together Mm -hmm. and many many people may never have an affair may never act out sexually physically 
and yet never really get, get to, to get, that get space. to the we it's still it's, about me what it's can i still get about consumerism well it's fascinating so yesterday in my office i you know, sat with one spouse and uh, the one spouse was just there by themselves, even though I do interact with both spouses. And, you know, that spouse said, well, what about me? I don't know. I just, it's just like, what is he or she doing for me? And I thought, oh yeah, some people can stay there, even though they're coming to counseling, even though they're Christians seeking God, Mm -hmm. it can still be like, well, what about me? Right. You know, and they're not moving, they're not developing towards that level of transformation. And also yesterday, uh, I sat with uh, a newlywed and I got to cast the vision for, hey, 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 sex is a skill to be developed Mm -hmm. and it is going to develop over a lifetime with this person with whom you've chosen to develop that gift and it's going to take a long time. And there was hope and there was excitement in that, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, any skill takes a long time to be developed. And one of the things that I wrote in the book Real Marriage is, listen, one of the best things we can do prior to, you know, developing this lifetime commitment with somebody is get away from all other pictures of what sex is and what it's supposed to be and sexual engagement is. Try to just divest yourself because yours is yours is yours. It's nobody else's. Nobody else is ever going to be, we pray, in your bedroom or wherever you're going to be as you engage sexually. It's yours. It's like your first child that you're creating together. Nobody would ever look over the shoulder, your shoulder at your first baby, physical baby, and go, oh, yuck, that's kind of an ugly baby. You don't, you would kill him. Yeah. You would protect that baby with your life. You'd be like, I don't care what you think about my child. You yeah. would you would be super protective of that. And it's the same. Nobody's going to give, con- it's yours to develop and, and take care of and, you know, cr- uh, nurture and craft together. Right. This sacred, holy space that's yours, your first to just, that's yeah. yours. Nobody's ever going to be there evaluating going, well, that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. It's just how much of culture have you let determine ahead of time what you think is good and bad as you develop it together. It's yours. Nobody's ever going to be there. Mm -hmm. Make it yours. Protect it like it's yours. This, the, the development. And so I think about, I I remember some template, you know, templates are so important. Templates are the firsts, right? Those very distinct visuals that we have of the firsts of things, our first experiences of things. And I think there are some templates that I have early on that I remember they helped form Uh, They stuck in for me. I remember uh, when I was a newlywed and there was an older woman in our church and how we got talking about sex. I was probably asking her some questions and she said, oh, yes, every time so and so and I have sex, I cry. (laughs) It's like kind of like go on. (laughs) And she she continued and it was this idea of it being so holy. And I was absolutely wrapped with attention because that had never crossed my mind. No one had ever presented it to me in such a fashion. And that was a wonderful gift to have such a wild idea come across my grid. I loved it. That was such a gift to me at that time. And and also I had another folk uh, early on, somewhat early on in our marriage, um, who they stop and pray. Like every time over when they decide to have a sexual engagement, mm-hmm. they invite God into like, we want to have this as a time of holy expression. And I don't know, it's wonderful. And I was like, well, isn't that incredible? Just this idea, like God is the God over our sexual relationship mm-hmm. as well. He's here. He's a part of this. This was his mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And so maybe those are new concepts for somebody listening. This idea mm-hmm. of, yes. Yes, it's okay. It's okay that you're a sexual being. Yes, you're not weird for having the feelings that you do. Yes, you're not weird for having a bigger libido than your husband. Yes, you're not weird for having a libido at all. It's okay like to try to kind of move with like, okay, so let's figure out what to do with the you that you are. Right. You know? Right. Right. And I think like for many, for many people, um, the idea of sex being a life-giving, satisfying space is it feels like that's that's so far from possible because right. of the traumas and the that's true the losses and the the pain and the thievery that they've experienced if they've, it's the um the the people who have been acting out 
sexually and using sex as a way of coping and dealing with life and using sex consumeristically. Like it can be really hard to even think about that. Think about it. It's almost like that's a great vision, but for others, I can't even stay present. I, 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 it's like, and so, so I think like if you're in that kind of space, like there's, there's hope and there's healing. Um, but it's, it's, uh, there that's the place where I still remain optimistic is that sex is a beautiful mm-hmm. gift from God mm-hmm. and um and God wants us to bring it out of the shadows and out of the the dark corners where we kind of hidden it yeah and say no this needs to be a part of my life this yeah. is part of who I am it's part of it's part of what it means for me to be human and um I want it to develop um, healthy and whole, and I'm willing to take that journey. Yeah, that's so good. So good, Tim. It's been so great to have you here. And I am really glad you said what you did about, uh, uh, reminding us that for people that have been traumatized, this is an incredibly difficult discussion across the board. And so, yes, this podcast has not been particularly for, you know, folks that have been abused Mm -hmm. in any significant way. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe we'll have another one for, you all and address that more specifically, but it has been awesome to have you here. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing yourself, your story and your wisdom with us. And so Lord, we do pray for those that have uh, been under the sound of our voices for this time. Thank you. Thank you that they want you in their lives. They want your ways. They want to walk in wholeness and healing. They want to walk unencumbered, even in their sexuality. They're in, they're in a place of longing, deep longing for your best, yes, in their sexuality, and likely in places of pain and deep shame. And I pray, Jesus, that each one even now still listening would know you see her or him in that place of pain, in that place of shame, and you are meeting him or her there. I'm drawing him or her out. And I pray that sense of hope would be rising even now. So whatever you have wanted each one to get, I pray that it would stick with them and you would continue this message and continue this work that you've begun even in this time and space and that they would sense your well done over them for being faithful to listen and to be a good steward of their time to want to learn and move with you even in these most difficult spaces. Oh God, would you bless them now? Thank you, Jesus, for them, and thank you for all that who are pursuing you and want your truth deep within. Bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.